This is Pete Moore. I'm on Halo Talks NYC on location, San Diego, Ursa 2018, with a good friend of mine, David Hardy. Welcome to the show. Hello, Pete. Excellent. Excellent. So David and I met several years ago. Now, you were the effectively the first institutional investor uh, into the Orange Theory franchise network, which uh, at the time looked like um, not as rosy as it looks today. It was so, a little different. It was a little different. Yeah. So I, I think what we want our listeners to understand is that when you uh, look at an opportunity early stage and really assess the, the possibilities, you know, how you thought about it, what you viewed as the uh, potential. And, you know, I think that probably has been magnified o- over time. So, you know, take us through your story uh, as an early stage investor and looking at opportunities and we'll kind of go from there. Sure. Well, I mean, I got into the fitness industry somewhat by accident back in the 90s. If anyone remembers Wayne Gretzky, the uh, the amazing hockey player, he was uh, playing for Edmonton. And the owner at the time, Peter Pocklington, traded Wayne Gretzky to uh, the LA Kings. And the bank uh, called his loans. And uh, one of the businesses that Mr. Pocklington happened to own was a chain of fitness clubs. And uh, we, at the time, they were in receivership and we had an opportunity to buy that. And so got into the fitness industry somewhat by accident, but uh, truly have fallen in love with it. Gotcha. Um, and, you know, been involved in about half a dozen different uh, transactions or, or companies since then. Uh, we own uh, the World Health Chain now in Edmonton. Uh, we own a spin studio called True Ride, a uh, food company called Fresh Fit Foods. We've been involved with Spa Lady, which was a ladies only chain. Sure. And, you know, quite honestly, the, the most interesting one is probably the Orange Theory investment. So you, you started up, uh, you, you got an uh, investment banking background yes. uh, traditionally, uh, then started looking at opportunities such as, such as the World Health. Talk about Franvest and what that represents, you know, to you as an investment vehicle and, and why you started that. So we have a small team. Uh, it's our, you know, it's a family office. It's our own money. Uh, we don't raise money. And we typically look for, I wouldn't even say underperforming, but early stage or opportunity businesses. We're particularly interested now in the franchise space. We, I, I really think that's where it's going. And if you look at our name, which was made up, you know, 25 years ago, Franvest is franchise investments. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, we've been involved with a number of them. We've been involved in the Blimpy Suds and Salads chain, Yogan Fruits, Medicine Shop, Space Age Shelving over the years. Uh, and then got out of it a little while as we were in the fitness space and then back into it with Orange Theory. So, um, you know, as you look at early stage investments, so some of our audience here is going to be either entrepreneurs that are looking to take on capital or people that are investing in the sector. You know, how, um, how much of your investing is based on the data and how much of it is based on your gut? It's interesting. Getting into the, the fitness industry, when someone asked me, did I want to buy the Club Fit chain? And it was brought to me. I said, you know, I'm not really that interested in retail. Um, and they said, well, just read the book, read the package. And so mm-hmm. I, I read the package and I realized the fitness industry is the finance industry. You get a little bit of money from a lot of people and they pay for a long time, you know, years. And so when you realize that early, it's very much like the franchise business. You get a royalty or an override from a large franchise group. And that's one of the reasons I like it. We are data people. Um, You know, what we really add to the business is strategic planning. And, uh, you know, as you you know, I've worked together on some projects and you know, I love the numbers. Don't send me a PDF. Make sure you send me the Excel spreadsheet and I, and and we dig right into it. Uh, And quite honestly, I think that uh, being data-driven investors is is important, but that's only part of it. You also have to be able to see the opportunity and and be able to see beyond the data. So, um, you know, being up at Edmonton and and having the ability to to run the World Gym Clubs uh, and then looking at an exit to a private equity firm at the time, 
How do you view, you know, wh what the growth trajectory of companies and saying like, okay, I've kind of served my role from, you know, getting it to professionalized business. And then if somebody else wants to, to buy and pay me for what I've created, you know, I'm willing to move on to the next deal. And I think some people like get attached to assets and some people understand that, you know, this is a, this is a transactional business and you, you got to have your passion in the asset in order to make it work. But at some point you also need to know when to do a deal. So maybe give us some tidbits on that. Well, I think we, you have to know your strengths. Our strengths are identifying opportunities within companies. Quite honestly, long-term management of, you know, running a company for 20 years, that's not where our highest and best use is. Our highest and best use is finding an underperforming company or one that has much bigger upside, putting the right people and systems in place, typically doing it often with technology. We really spend a lot of time looking for opportunities to, to make things work more smoothly, more efficiently, and at a lower cost. And when we put those systems in place and we get them running, you know, typically our highest and best use is to find the next opportunity. And so, you know, we typically will exit. And we've done that. We've, you know, we're not a big private equity firm by any stretch. We've, you know, over the last 20 years, have done about 12 deals. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, we've taken a couple of them public. Uh, but for the most part, they're private transactions. And we've, worked, we've done three PE uh, transactions selling to other private equity firms. Uh, and that's, you know, probably where our space is. So, uh, so I use this phrase a lot, which is uh, experience is what you get when you don't get what you want. So when you sit down with an entrepreneur um, and you, uh, you know, look at, at the data and you look at what their plans are and kind of overlay what you think they should do, how do you articulate to them, you know, look, I, you know, I've seen this movie before, like there's a process. I know you like the word process. You know, there's a path to success and, and there's a time to success. So maybe give us a little background on how you think about it and how you deliver that type of message. I mean, we look at a lot of transactions, you know, typically north of 100 transactions a year, which for, you know, a lot of private equity firms are looking at thousands. Mm -hmm. and, and we try to be quite specific. We actually, we will, my background, we used to own an investment bank called Foundation Group and we sold people's companies. We found that a lot of our work, though, was actually doing acquisition searches, going and looking for opportunities. Okay. And so typically that's, you know, it's, very, it's not very often I get a deck and, and an investor coming to me. A lot of cases we're going out and looking for the deals, either in the franchise space or in the fitness space. Uh, and oftentimes there aren't those decks and those performers. Sometimes we're having to do that. But when I do get people bringing me the opportunities, and I've, I've seen a lot of them, uh, there's a, especially now with the studio space, there's everybody out there has a new studio concept. Right. Uh, and, and, you know, oftentimes you certainly have to know the data and you have to know the industry. You know, in, in the fitness industry in particular, the Association of Fitness Clubs did a study showing that the average fitness studio in the U.S. is, is earning $300,000 a year. Well, when someone tells me they're going to open a boxing studio and it's going to open a million, I, I really need to understand, you know, how are you going to do it better than absolutely everybody else on sure, average? And, sure. and, and that's kind of tying back to the data. So, um, so tell us the Orange Theory story, how you got involved there. Um, you know, give us the, uh, the straight scoop on, on what it really looked like at the time versus what people think, you know, an appetizing entree, you know, from day one. Obviously, these things start differently than what they uh, come out as. Well, I was on a roundtable group. It's called Rex Roundtables. It's a, an industry uh, roundtable for the fitness industry. Mm -hmm. And a good friend of mine, Terry Blaychuk, and I uh, had heard about Ellen's Ultimate Fitness. It was a small fitness chain started by a, a local entrepreneur. And we drove out to meet her, and Ellen talked about these two nice young men that she had just partnered with to open a franchise called mm -hmm. Orange Theory. Terry actually got involved in first and... and uh, sort of working with them and we became essentially the first private equity investor. At the time, uh, there was about half a dozen locations. 
five of them were losing money and they had one that was really working well. Uh, this was, this would have been 2011. Okay. Uh, we, at the time, we made a decision. So there was three founding partners, Ellen and the two uh, other gentlemen, Dave Long and Jerome Kern. Mm -hmm. Dave Long was, from, and in terms of operations, he ran the operations. He's now our CEO. And Jerome was responsible for the franchise development. And Ellen was responsible for the products. We had a, a really great team. But we made a decision. We were going to stop development until we fix the system. We didn't want to have a franchise where we were just selling franchises. Everyone was losing a little money, but you were going to make it up in volume. That doesn't work. And so you know, we made a commitment to slow down on the development, to stop the development, mm -hmm. fix the system, and took average unit volumes at the time from sort of thirty to forty thousand uh, dollars, you know, north of uh, uh, you know in that hundred thousand dollar range now on a monthly basis. And it's it's been great. We we think, and we're not one hundred percent sure, but we might be the first franchise ever to get to a thousand units without ever having closed one. That's great. So when when you say you stop development. So people understand, you really honed in on what's the unit economics, what's the business process, and I feel like there was you're at the right place at the right time from a standpoint of, of the accessibility of technology and the systems that were deployed. And it was like a supply met demand under a great brand. Yeah, we, we have uh, really taken pains to try to make this business run with as little staff as possible, as efficiently as possible. Mm -hmm. There's more technology in a 3,000 square foot orange theory than in most 30 to 50,000 square foot big box clubs. Every, in every part, the, every part of the business that we can make it more efficient by using technology, we have done that. Uh, all the way down, you know, heart rate monitors, aggregating the data, sending out the emails, mm -hmm. tracking our members, uh, call management systems. You know, and, and that was the early stage of it, is we, we have to make these efficient. But you know, making them efficient is one part of it. The other part of it is we had to get our average unit volumes up. And so right. you know, learning how to do pre-sales effectively, learning you know, how to really develop the culture of the brand. And uh, you know, very quickly, the volumes have grown, and it's, uh, it's become very successful, and our franchisees are doing well. And that's, you know, for the, everyone that wants to start these brands, and you know, they, they've got the idea of this, this great new concept, it all comes down to unit economics. Right. If, if right. it isn't scalable, and if your franchisees aren't going to make money, don't bother. Right. So fast forward. So so after Orange Theory and Union Economics and the AUVs got to where you wanted them to be and you felt confident and you, you started building in Canada. And then from there, you know, give us an update on, on what's going on in Canada. What's the receptivity of the brand uh, up there? How's it translated? So we when we invested in the U.S., uh, franchise, or we also carved out Canada at the time, so we took the rights for Canada. So we've got 70 locations open now. We'll open 30 to 35 locations this year, uh, and we think there's a, a market there for about 200 locations. That's great. So you brought in some private equity there with uh, Roar Capital, which is, you know, I'd say considered the top franchising investment firm in the country. Uh, so congratulations on that. Um, from a standpoint of doing that transaction, as people look at doing private equity transactions or taking an investment from, from companies, whether that's uh, minority or majority, give us uh, your gut on like, when do you know when you're ready to do that and go through that process? And when do you feel like it's the right decision? I mean, at the time it was 2016, uh, you know, we, we knew that we needed to grow to the next level mm -hmm. and we needed some more expertise. Rourke at the time had 50 franchise brands, I think 20 billion in, in, in equity, 22,000 locations in 75 countries. They knew way more about the franchise business than we did. Right. And, and we needed to bring on some more expertise. And quite honestly, looking at a private equity investment at the time, we were either looking at someone with 
deep franchise experience or someone with technology experience. And, and we picked Rourke, and it's been a, it's been a great uh, move for us. We, you know, they've helped us. They've got a lot of experience internationally. We're now in 18 countries, and you know, a lot of the strategic planning. Uh, and the guidance that they gave us was instrumental in helping us get into these countries and, and build the right team. The other thing that, you know, bringing private equity in also takes a little bit of pressure off. You know, they mm-hmm. come in with a different philosophy. We went from 60-odd employees to 120. We moved our offices and bought a building and built a campus. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we really uh, weren't thinking anymore about, and at the time, you know, we were five or 600 locations or 500 locations. You know, our, our goal isn't now just, and as I said, we're just about to hit 1,000. But, you know, with Rourke, they really made us think bigger. Uh, you know, how many locations can we have internationally? How many can we get into the U.S.? And, you know, still maintaining our core values, which were our franchisees have to be successful. And, and from a standpoint, and obviously you're, you're, you come from the investment side on the lower middle market and then went to a, a very large transaction with Rourke. How much pressure does that take off the management team to actually build long-term value in a company versus... You know, we're still responsible for payroll. We're still responsible for if we're going to make a $15 million investment in technology and we're doing this on our own, like we might be betting the company. So how does private equity help you make rational and like long-term decisions that that benefit everyone? In 2015, I was the chief financial officer. 2016, I was the running the IT department with three other guys. Um, you know, one, one, one gentleman that was plugging computers in and one expert. I didn't realize that. Today so. <laughs> we have, you know, a, an IT department of 25 people. We have a CTO. We have, we, you know, we have chief technology officer, chief learning officer, chief financial officer. You know, we have built a real good group of, of high-level chief, mar- chief brand officer, chief, mar- chief marketing officer. We built a high-level group. And, you know, quite honestly, you wouldn't – we, we knew that was the right thing to do. But you know, bringing in a private equity group like Rourke takes the pressure off a little bit and has you refocus on your goal. I mean, when we started the franchise, I recall, you know, the, the big, hairy, audacious goal was to get to 100 locations. I mean, God, right. if we could ever get to 100 locations. Yep. And uh, Rourke just sort of helped us refocus on really where to go. And, uh, and, and you, know, they, you know their experience and their success. Sure. Um, bringing in the expertise is a good thing. So as you look at um, what you want to do over the next, you know, five to ten years on the Franvest side and find... Similar opportunities, I guess, that, that needle in a haystack that might not look like, might, might hurt as a needle right when you touch it, um, but could potentially turn into something um, like the, the amazing success of, of Orange Theory, which sounds like a, a lot of it was, you know, blood, sweat, tears uh, with your partners and yourself. Um, you know, how do you, uh, you know, what are you looking for so we can make sure that everyone here is on the lookout? Oh, I appreciate that. Well, <laughs> you know, we are looking, we're actively looking. You know, for us, we won't go into the fitness space again because we certainly don't want to compete with sure. ourselves. But we do like the healthy living part of the business. So if there are opportunities there, I have made a commitment to my wife. We will never be in the food business again. Okay. And so we are not going down the route of food. But, you know, quite honestly, I see from a franchise, I like franchising. I, I really believe that we've learned a lot with uh, the different investments we've been involved with. And, you know, I think that it's going to be very difficult for anyone to operate in the next five or 10 years unless they're able to operate under a great brand and have systems. And to scale systems today, you have to be able to spread those costs out among you know, multiple groups. And you know, we've certainly seen that with Orange Theory, and I think you're going to see a lot of consolidation of companies and a lot of growth of businesses that learn how to do it better. I like the idea of you know, Orange Theory is really affordable group personal training. So we, our competitors were personal trainers. Mm-hmm. Instead of paying $75 an hour, you go to Orange Theory and pay 15 So it's an efficiency play. 
it, I, I like the idea of looking for efficiency plays. That's great. Well, um, congratulations on the success. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that we've become good friends and uh, look forward to helping you find the next uh, Orange Theory to work on together. I appreciate that, Pete. Thank you. All right, great.